0: Hi and welcome back to Dissecting Dexter. I'm your host, Gareth Watkins, broadcasting today from the heart of North Yorkshire. Welcome. Today we're looking at Season 1, Episode 9 of Dexter, Father Knows Best. But before we get into that, a uh, little bit of autograph news. Remember last time I was talking about writing off for a few uh, Dexter autographs, uh, one of which was Jennifer Carpenter. And I'm delighted to say that, uh, if you follow me on Twitter, you'll already know this, I got a reply. And uh, Jennifer Carpenter signed the photo that I sent her, care of the play which she was starring in in New York. Uh, the play's no longer running, unfortunately, so... Um, there's no point in me giving the address out for anyone else to try because it, it'll be too late now. Uh, but she she signed the the photo I sent, uh, made it out to me, which was nice. I'm going to stick a scan on the blog, uh, dissectingdexter.blogspot.com, which uh, if anyone's looked at it lately is seriously um, uh, in need of updates. Uh, I did put um, a few links on there, uh, just non iTunes links for anyone who doesn't like iTunes can uh, directly download the podcasts from the blog. But, yeah, it was nice to get, uh, well, not my first autograph from a Dexter star. I do have, already have John Lithgow. Uh, I had a reply from him uh, in pre-Dexter days. He signed um, a photo of him recording uh, his voice for uh, the first Shrek film. But hopefully I'll get replies from the the three other autographs I wrote off for Johnny Lee Miller, David Zayas and Michael C. Hall. Uh, But I'll keep you posted on that. Okay, so today's episode, Father Knows Best, episode 9 of season 1. We're nearly at the end of season 1, aren't we? Uh, I was really determined to certainly get through season 1 and hopefully get through season 2 before the new Dexter season starts in the autumn. Um, I'm cranking one of these out every couple of weeks, so hopefully, hopefully we'll get there. Okay, so Father Knows Best, written by Melissa Rosenberg and directed by Adam Davison. Writer Melissa Rosenberg, uh, from what I can tell, wrote 11 Dexter episodes in all, having previously written for shows like Dark Skies, Party of Five, Hercules, Ally McBeal, and the O.C., quite an eclectic mix. But she's perhaps now more widely renowned for writing the screenplays for the Twilight films, none of which I've seen, so I can't um, really comment on the quality of the writing uh, of, of those. But um, obviously, she's really her career has really taken a big um, skyrocket, really, with uh, with the, the credit of writing those films or writing the screenplays for those films. Director Adam Davison. Uh, this is his only direct. Uh, directorial credit for dexter he directed episodes for a lot of different shows but never many of any particular show he did one episode of lost one for deadwood one for fringe one for six feet under you get the idea rome was another one but more recently he's done a few episodes of community friday night lights and big love let's dive in shall we father knows best here we go Steady girls. Dex is in the shower, but luckily the only hose on display is the shower hose. (laughs) Rita comes in and there's some playful music, kind of sitcom style. They fumble over the soap and get tangled in the shower hose. (laughs) Cody knocks at the door needing a wee. Oh, Just hilarious. (laughs) Oh, I won't knock it. It's a lighter moment and deliberately so to illustrate the change in the relationship with Rita. I guess the consummation last episode has ushered in this change with Dexter staying over, uh, he and Rita being more comfortable with each other, or at least Rita more comfortable with Dexter. Sharing a shower certainly wasn't on the agenda a week ago, let's just say that. I like the shell-shocked look on his face when Dexter finally escapes to the bedroom. Is maintaining his cover worth this? And what was interesting also in that scene, um, we see a scar on Dexter's side, um, which was featured quite prominently in the scene, and... Uh, Well, we'll revisit that. We cut to Batista and Doakes driving along and Batista's harping on about his divorce and we learn Batista cheated on his wife just once and felt so bad he confessed to her the next day. Doakes says he's too honest. Suddenly, Doakes spots someone walking along the road and gets Batista to stop the car. Doakes shouts to the guy who promptly runs off. But wouldn't he have been better off following getting closer rather than alerting the guy from a distance don't they always do that in cop shows they're miles away and they shout stop police and gives the uh, the man or woman a chance to run away so Dokes and this guy run off out of sight and Batista tries to catch up suddenly there are two gunshots and we see the guy lying dead on his back and Dokes there gun in hand cut to a short time later and the crime scene people are there including Dexter La is going over what happened with Doakes, who claims he saw a guy with a gun in his waistband. We hear his name is, and I think I caught it right, Jacques Bayard. Looks a bit like CeeLo Green, actually. Basically, Doakes claims he chased the guy under the causeway, got shot at, he took cover and returns fire. Clearly there's a serious situation here, and Batista has to choose his words carefully so as not to risk contradicting Doakes. Now, obviously, Dokes could be in very hot water here, and Batista can only support a tiny part of the story. Dexter, though, is just doing his job, but questions where Dokes claims to have fired from. The blood spatter doesn't support his story, suggesting he fired from a lot closer. And Dokes, of course, gets very riled up at this. Straight away, we're believing Dexter's analysis, and as that contradicts Dokes' story, Dokes must be hiding something about what happened under there. So what's the story? Did he know the guy, perhaps? Batista looks puzzled and worried. He knows it doesn't add up, and Dexter says how trauma can distort the memory, which was quite nice of him, although you have to wonder if he was just saying that. Well, just saying what he thought he should say under the circumstances, as we've seen him do before. We cut to the police department, where Deb's trying to persuade Dexter to bring Rita to meet Rudy. Dex, of course, is a bit cynical after the last double date, but Deb presses, saying this one's different. She thinks she's falling for him. Oh dear, there may be trouble ahead. That's the first and last time I'll be singing this episode. A courier turns up with an envelope for Dexter, but Batista wants to speak to him, so Deb holds it while they talk. Batista's clearly still uncomfortable with Dexter's report contradicting Doakes' version of events. Dexter agrees to hold back his report until Batista has another chat with Dokes about it. Dexter turns round and sees that Deb's already opened the envelope. You know, it's a federal offence
1: to read someone else's mail. We regret to inform you of the death of your father? Dad died ten years ago. This isn't about Harry. Joseph Driscoll of Dade City, Florida, names his son Dexter Morgan of Miami as his executor. It's a will. Well, he can't be your biological father. Dad said he died before you came to live with us. He wouldn't make a mistake like that. The body's awaiting cremation while they notify the next of kin... Hey, I'm your only Mexican. Don't you fucking forget it. Oh, and I inherited a house. I know the truth because Harry always told me the truth. He had to. He was teaching me principles, a code. He knew what I would become without it. So Joseph Driscoll of Dade City must have been mistaken.
0: So this is big news to Dexter. Both he and Deb believed Dexter's real father died before Harry took him in. And in voiceover, Dexter reveals his complete faith in Harry, believing his every word to be the truth. He's sure this Joe Driscoll is mistaken. And we also get what I think is the first specific reference to the code, at least insofar as referring to it directly as a code. The guidelines Harry set out for Dexter to... to help him focus and channel his dark needs, and also to help him blend in and stay undiscovered and out of jail. We go to a flashback and Harry is presenting young Dexter with his new birth certificate, the adoption now official. Dexter is now officially Dexter Morgan. The question comes up about what happened to Dexter's real parents, and Harry's evasive. When pressed, he just says they died in a tragic accident. To us as viewers, his evasiveness can only mean one thing. There's a lot more to this than he's letting on. Back in the present day, Dexter's at Rita's house. They're talking about Joe Driscoll. Dexter's looked into him and there's very little information on him. Only the deeds to the house and a small mention in a local paper about his bowling team. He's also found out that the lawyer who drafted the will said Joe Driscoll was of sound mind and in no doubt about who Dexter is. In other words, he was adamant that Dexter was his biological son. Dexter's delivery is pretty detached and Rita picks up on it, suggesting he's so overwhelmed by the news that he's just shut down. Of course, we know different, but then again, Harry is the only father Dexter ever knew, so this Joe Driscoll, if he really was Dexter's dad, his only contribution to his life was his biological one. So, it's not surprising that Dexter's not devastated, breaking down in tears. Although, of course, there's the revelation that his real father possibly wasn't dead all these years, and that carries some implications that maybe Harry wasn't always as truthful with Dexter as he previously thought and that would be a big thing to come to terms with. But for now, Dex's expression gives little away. Next, Deb and Rudy have a post-coital conversation. Of course, we now know Rudy's the ice truck killer. We know he's the one who's been playing games with Dexter, although we don't know why. But it shines a different light on his questions about Dexter, not to mention on his whole relationship with Deb. Deb tells him about this man dying, and talks about how he was apparently dead, Dexter's biological father, although she says it's a big mistake. Rude is crafty. He manipulates Deb, convincing her into travelling up to join Dexter at the house. See, we're viewing his every move with suspicion now, aren't we? We join Rita and Paul having a seemingly rational conversation about her having to postpone his visit with the kids. This is because Rita's joining Dexter at Driscoll's house. Paul's not happy about it. He speaks calmly, but suddenly hits out and knocks something off the table in anger. Luckily, Dexter appears and Paul leaves. It's tricky. I mean, I'm not a fan of Paul in the slightest, but as a father, and he does seem to genuinely want to spend time with the kids, but as a father, you can understand him being disappointed at having his visit cancelled. And especially so when the reason is because your wife's... okay, estranged wife, but because of a new boyfriend. I think he's got reason to feel a little aggrieved, although let's face it, he pretty much gave up his actual rights when he raped and beat up his wife. Yeah, screw him. You can argue that he's lucky to have any kind of visitation given what horrible things he did. Rita and Dexter arrive at Driscoll's house and immediately an old woman hobbles out of the house opposite. She says he was only 60, too young for a heart attack. Now, did you think the same as me here, smelling a rat? I mean, 60 certainly isn't too young for a heart attack, but the fact that the writers put that in there, it makes you wonder if we're to suspect that the death might not have been entirely natural. Back at the police department, Batista talks to Dokes. Hey, James. Hey, man. IA is pressing me on every
1: part of the shooting. It's just one thing that I can't get clear on. It's pretty clear from where I was standing. Yeah, except I could have sworn that I heard your 9 millimeter go off before the thirty-eight. Now, there's lots of reasons it could have gone down that way. If Bayard even just aimed at you, it's still a righteous shoot. Except he shot first when I came around the corner. Yeah, well, maybe you're confused about that, too, because the blood spatter report says it couldn't have gone down that way. You saying I'm a liar? No, I'm saying that maybe you're not remembering right. This may come as a fucking shock to you, Angel. But you're not the only honest cop in Miami.
0: (sighs) Look, I just want to know why a man is dead. You want to come at me, you come at me straight. You want it straight? I did not see a gun. The suggestion here is that Doakes may have fired and planted the second gun himself. Why is the first question, but it obviously puts Doakes in the frame for suspicion of murder. We'd been given the impression so far that Doakes is a pretty decent guy. And his distrust of Dexter although a thorn in Dexter's side, is of course completely well-founded. And now this is all being thrown into the air. I really like this development with these two supporting characters. We'd so far been set up to like and respect both of them, but here, Doakes is being positioned as possibly corrupt in some way, while Batista is very much in the camp of cop with a conscience and integrity, and not one to just lie to protect a colleague. Back at Driscoll's house... Dexter and Rita are looking at photos and things and muse that the guy was lonely. Then the doorbell goes. Dexter opens the door to reveal Rudy standing there. It's not much of a surprise because we knew he was setting up Deb to go but it's the first face-to-face meeting of these two serial killers.
1: And this is Rudy.
0: Hey. We waited a long
1: time to meet you. And you must be Rita. Hey. He came here for me. For both of us. Isn't he great?
0: Well, wasn't that an anticlimax? But maybe appropriate. Dexter goes to shake Rudy's hand, but gets an embrace instead. Rudy's lying about waiting a long time for this. Double meaning, perhaps. It was an odd line to throw in there, and of course, now we know he's the ice truck killer, we have to speculate that everything he says will have a hidden meaning. We just don't know the reason behind it. They all sleep over, and next morning, Dexter wonders how a death turned into a couple's weekend. He's quietly got up and dressed, and in voiceover, saying, luckily he gets up earlier than normal people. Cue Rudy, already up and pouring coffee. <laughs> Didn't you just know he was going to be up already after Dexter said that? <laughs> it gave me a laugh anyway. Dexter's off to see Driscoll's body and speaks to his doctor, who seems surprised by Driscoll dying of a heart attack. He'd had regular checks and didn't seem a candidate. The body is revealed and Dexter takes a close look with typical detachment. He notices a spiderweb tattoo on an elbow and observes it looks like a prison tattoo. The doctor suggests Driscoll was a good man. The conversation turns professional as Dexter questions the evidence of the heart attack and the doc gets a little defensive. But as Dexter looks at the tattoo, he seems to have a memory returned to him. A brief flashback shows him as a very young boy, sitting in a car being driven by a man with the exact same tattoo on his elbow. Cutting back quickly to present day, and Dexter looks a little alarmed. But he gets rid of the doctor and sets about taking a blood sample. He then rings our good friend Vince Masuka, and asks him to do a DNA comparison and tox screen of two blood samples he's going to send him. Evidently, Dexter doesn't buy the heart attack being from natural causes. It's interesting how Dexter immediately suspects foul play. He has a radar for killers and can read blood spatter like a book, but all he has to go on here is the doctor's comment that Driscoll didn't seem like an obvious candidate for a heart attack. But when he takes a second blood sample from his own arm, we see that understandably he wants to be sure if they're related. We jump to a shocking flashback. Shocking because young Dexter's lying in a hospital emergency room. A massive wound on his side, blood everywhere. And you can see there where that scar we saw earlier might have come from. I say might, I'd say almost definitely. Yet, he just seems relatively calm about this wound. You know, shock, probably. (laughs) He does say to Harry that it hurts. We learn he fell while trying to help Deb, but the injury sounds really serious. There's a woman at the bedside and we might assume it's Mrs Morgan. She seems really upset about Dexter and we learn that there's a medical complication because of Dexter's rare blood type. We cut to Batista talking to Internal Affairs, giving his account of the shooting. He's honest and sticks to what he knows to be facts. The dead guy was just a janitor with an unblemished record we learn. Not even a parking ticket since he came to the USA from Haiti. The crucial point for the IA guy is whether Batista heard Doakes' gun go off before Bayard's. Before he can answer, the scene changes and we rejoin Dexter and co. at Driscoll's house. They're puzzled because there's nothing there to indicate what Driscoll was up to before 1976 when he bought the house. Rudy points out he was 60, but it's like his life started when he was 30. Dexter theorises he probably got in with the wrong people and spent time in prison before that. My thought here on First Watch was that maybe he was in witness protection and was given a new identity at 30, hence nothing to indicate who he was before then. They find a bunch of Alcoholics' anonymous badges, indicating he had some personal problems, but then embarrassment ahoy. Rudy finds some old rock and roll records and puts one on. He and Deb, then air guitar around the room. I cringed a bit but actually it was another uniquely light scene in the annals of Dexter history to go with Deb singing into that high school trophy last time. Dexter says... Oh, good, Dexter. Rita gets up and joins them, and they try to get Dexter to join in. He does a very brief and awkward shuffle before getting on with the packing. <laughs> I know exactly how he felt there. I'm not a dancer, never have been, never will be. I'm, <laughs> I'm far too self-conscious, which might surprise you, given I record a podcast and put my voice and thoughts out there for all the world to hear. But did you notice some of the props used in the scene? Dexter and Rudy both using some of the tools of the trade as they packed. Duct tape, rope, a craft knife, black bin bags. Not so subtle, but it added to the fun of the scene. Dexter still blissfully unaware of Rudy's alter ego. Rita gets a call amid all this from Paul, who sounds rather the worse for wear. He makes a snide comment about Dexter, and you'd assume he'd been drinking because he'd been doing a reasonable job of seeing normal and in better control, with the exception of when he feigned a punch at Dexter's head, oh, and when he lashed out at an inanimate object earlier. (laughs) Rita points out this won't help his visitation with the kids and suggests he hangs up. Off he goes, but clearly he's struggling to keep up the facade of the changed Mr. Nice Guy. Maintaining a facade really is a common theme in this show, isn't it? We join Dexter in his thoughts, musing how having a secret life is the only thing he has in common with Mr. Driscoll. Rudy appears behind him. Now, here's someone else seemingly maintaining a Mr. Nice Guy image.
1: Hiding out? Cleaning up? I can only imagine what you're going through a lot of lemon fresh joy you joke it's good defense by the way thank you i think still possibility has got to be weighing on you what possibility that joe could actually be your dad the only way that's a possibility
0: is if harry was wrong and uh it's just not possible or he lied it's intriguing watching these two together Obviously, Rudy has Dexter at a great disadvantage, and we're left wondering what his motivation is. You can't help but feel everything he says to Dexter is loaded with that hidden meaning I've mentioned. We go to flashback, with young Dexter being carted off to surgery. Harry's there, reassuring him. Turns out Harry found a blood donor with the same rare blood type. We cut back to Dexter, remembering this moment. Harry's words, would I lie to you, echoing in his ears, no doubt. This is one of those flashbacks where clearly they represent Dexter's own memory coming back to him. There have been times in the past where the flashbacks seem to serve the purpose of filling in some backstory for us, the viewer, rather than well, rather than necessarily re- representing what Dexter was thinking at that moment. A multi-use plot device, you could say. We join Batista next, sitting in a car, reminiscing about something his dying father said to him, just to be an honest man. The internal affairs guy is in the back of the car taping the conversation. Batita Batita, I've called him that before, haven't I? Batista does the honest thing and implicates Dokes, revealing Dexter's blood report and the fact that he heard Dokes fire first. Next morning, Dexter's phone rings. He's not there, so Deb picks it up. It's Masuka with the DNA results. Which is complete news to Deborah, and she's not too happy.
1: You trusted Dad your entire life, so why question him now?
0: Am I missing something?
1: DNA test? Masuka called? Your biological father was dead. Dad told us that. I remember. So the DNA came back negative? It was a match. Joe Driscoll was your bio, Dad. interesting do you think dad lied i think he might have known joe was here five hours up i-95 my whole life
2: well he must have had a damn good reason and i'm not gonna let some guy you
0: didn't even know draw him into question
1: deb i'm not questioning anything
0: that's why you got a talk screen too yeah. So this begs the question, if Harry lied about something as important as this, what else might he have lied about? Deb's upset is understandable. She's upset that it seems Dexter didn't trust Harry enough not to run the DNA test, but also upset that she knows her dad lied. You can see Dexter's head is swimming, but he's still outwardly unfazed by the death of his biological father. They go inside and talk about it with Rita and Rudy. Dexter says he ran the tests out of professional curiosity. The top screen just showed a sedative, which he probably used to help him sleep. Dexter, though, jumps to a more sinister conclusion that maybe someone gave him the sedative so he wouldn't struggle when he was injected with something. Maybe something like insulin. He says he'd need to re-examine the body, at which point Deb gets cross again. She seems to be personally offended by Dexter's interest in this guy. She says mum and dad were his family. She's his family. Nice performance by Jennifer Carpenter here. Lots of emotion in her voice. And there's the weekly aeroplane. No, it's a military helicopter. (laughs) Deb says Driscoll was obviously bad news. That's why Harry kept him secret. Deb's in a state, but Dexter just looks at her kind of lost for words. Another instance of him just not knowing how to handle an emotional situation. I don't know what you want from me, he says. Oh dear. They agree to just finish packing the house and leave. Dexter's not ready to let this go yet, though. He muses how both he and Deb idolised Harry and hung on to his every word. Yet Harry didn't teach Deb how to kill people. Dexter still needs to know the whole story. He speaks to the elderly neighbour again, asks her about whether there are any visitors to Driscoll's house, and he learns that a cable repairman was there, but a description isn't altogether helpful. Cut to the, to the police department. La Guerta talks to Doakes. Bayard wasn't the dead guy's real name, and it turns out he used to be in the Haitian military. She says she knows that Doakes took part in a special op in Haiti when he was in the army. Doakes just keeps quiet. Lagoyta and Dokes have a history, remember? They used to be partners, so they know each other well. She mentions terrible things that went on in Haiti with the death squads, and it prompts Dokes to talk. They
1: made mothers carry the heads of their dead sons, forced fathers to break their daughters. They tied cinder blocks around people's necks and drowned them, and put mutilated bodies in trees and killed anybody who tried to take them down. This man, Jacques Bayard, if he did those things, he deserved a lot worse than he got. Don't worry, James. It'll be over soon.
0: I know it will. That's awful. But I like LaGuerta supporting him there. I'm with dokes on this one, I don't know about you. I did a little look online about this, and the death squads really did exist during a coup in Haiti back in the early 90s. They came about after a military coup against the President in 1991. The Haitian army trained and armed paramilitaries to maintain control over the general population. Sounds like they took control to mean brutal rape and murder, amongst other things. Plenty of candidates for Dexter's kill table. There's plenty of stuff online if you want to delve into this, but I warn you, it does not make pleasant reading. I never cease to be just dismayed and disgusted at what some people are capable of. But back to the show. Dexter sneaks out of the house while the others sleep to go and take another look at Driscoll's body. He's convinced there'll be an injection welt if he was jabbed with insulin. One problem, though. The body's gone, and all that's left is a cardboard box labelled joseph driscoll's cremated remains and there's a security guard who appears suddenly and dexter has to leg it outside quite by chance of course rudy pulls up in his car and tells dexter to get in rudy claims he heard dexter go out and follow to try and stop him from doing anything stupid he's surprised or pretends to be surprised to see the box of ashes Dexter says his prints are on the box and thought it best not to leave evidence. He plans to dump them, which is pretty cold and detached, even for a serial killer. This is his biological father, after all. Rudy says he has a better idea. And they drive to the bowling alley and have a conversation with Rudy telling Dexter that he's running around trying to find evidence of a killer. But he took the ashes because part of him knows that this is his real father. Okay, it was... Well, for me, it came across as quite a poorly written line but we get the message he's trying to convey.
1: You're listening to Dissecting Dexter.
0: Dexter scatters the ashes on the grass outside the bowling alley and runs his fingers through them for some reason, which puzzled me, really. Why he'd want his dad's ashes under his fingernails, I just don't know. Back at the house, Dexter goes through some papers Rita found and most significantly, he finds a thank you card he wrote to his mystery blood donor all those years ago. And we get a flashback of Harry visiting Dexter post-surgery. Dexter's making the card and checks with Harry that it's the normal thing to do. Except Harry says the guy's gone and won't be coming back. So Dexter chucks the card in the bin. You can see Harry giving it some thought and then encourages Dexter to finish the card. Sort of backtracking a bit. Saying he'll make sure the donor gets it. Which he obviously did. Next day... Back in the present day, that is, Batista charges into LaGuerta's office and he's shocked that she had the case against Doakes dropped. He's upset because he put a loss on the line, having told IA the truth, all backed up by the evidence. LaGuerta explains that a military agency called IA and told them to drop it for sake of something along the lines of, or well, something to do with military intelligence, foreign intelligence. She does Doakes a favor here and doesn't disclose what she knows or not. Disclosing everything she knows and speculates it may have been something to do with special forces. Outside the office, there's a brief altercation. Squeak, squeak. You have a problem? Officer Benson.
1: You just bumped into your superior. I believe you owe Detective Batista an apology. Yes, sir. I'm sorry, sir.
0: Interesting. Obviously words got round and not everyone approves. It's funny how people can react in these situations. In institutions. Batista did nothing wrong. As far as he knew, someone's been murdered. And it pained him that it was Dokes who did it. But he stood up for what was right. Upholding the law. Credit to him. He didn't know the motivation. Had he done, maybe it would have made a difference like it did to La Guerta. And incidentally, Whether an agency did ring IA about the case is unclear, although it is quite plausible. But it's left up to us to decide whether LaGuerta stuck her neck out for her ex-partner. But it would seem Doakes doesn't bear bear Batista any grudge. He's a police officer with his own sense of integrity and justice. He took out the trash with that guy. Ironically, in a parallel with the colleague he suspects to be some sort of psycho. And speaking of Dexter, they're leaving Driscoll's house, now up for sale. Deb looks for reassurance that he and Dex are okay. (laughs) She did let him have it, didn't she? But they have a hug and Dex assures her that they're good. As Rudy and Deb get in the car to leave, the elderly neighbour spots him and starts calling out, Cable Repairman, wait! Confirming our suspicions, Rudy murdered Dex's dad. In their car, Dexter tells Rita that he's glad she was there. Interesting statement there. Did he say that because it seemed the right thing to say in the moment, or... Was he genuine? Then, as they drive away, the old lady's still calling out and waving about the cable guy, but Dexter just waves back at her. God, that was so close, wasn't it? And frustrating, perhaps. We cut to Rita's house. She's put the kids to bed, and a very drunk Paul turns up at the front door. He barges his way in, shouting the odds, swearing. Rita tries to placate him, but seemingly luring him to the bedroom. What was she thinking? Give herself to him to save from charging in and upsetting the kids and and or hitting her. I would hazard a good guess that this technique used to work with him on occasion in the past. However, Paul grabs her, throws her to the bed, calling her a whore. And it seems that he's about to rape her. But she strikes back, though, with a baseball bat and knocks him out. (laughs) Did you cheer when she hit him? (laughs) Stitch that. She grabs the kids out of their beds and takes them out of the house rather hastily. Cut to Dexter in his apartment putting a record on. One of Driscoll's records. It's Credence Clearwater Revivals. Have You Ever Seen the Rain? He looks at the card he made, unknowingly at the time, made for his dad.
1: I had a father. Someone other than Harry who called me son the thought never even occurred to me Harry was all I needed it was Harry who always had the answers he knew who was good, bad, safe and dangerous I built my life on Harry's code I lived by it but Harry lied why would he do that what else don't I know My concrete foundation is turning to shifting sand. Maybe Rudy was right. You never can truly know anyone.
0: He's in a state of uncertainty. He's lived by the code Harry established for him and and it's served him well so far. He's had complete faith in the code because he had complete faith in Harry. And now his faith in Harry has been shaken. Rudy's obviously trying to pull the strings and so far it's working. But what's his motivation? We still don't know. It's like he's trying to open Dexter's eyes to certain things, not least that Harry didn't always tell him the truth, which for someone trying to wing his way through his world, that's a big thing. Dexter used the word foundation, and that's precisely it. With shaky foundations, is he going to start floundering and questioning what he previously held to be true? It looks that way. And it's also interesting that he kept that thank you card For an emotionless individual, one who we've been led to believe is pretty much a psychopath, it's surprising that he'd take that card home. He doesn't have the sort of attachment to people and things that that the rest of us do, so why keep this souvenir, or, or maybe memento is a better word? That's intriguing to me, but let's jump into some of your thoughts.
1: Listener feedback.
0: An interesting little assortment of feedback this week. Uh, including uh, some listeners who 've referred to my comment last time um, in response to the iTunes review that questioned the uh, level of detail in the recaps slash reviews that I do um, but we we'll, we 'll get to those as we go through first one is from scroll down Sandy in Seattle, of course, Sandy, who uh, pointed us towards the excellent psychology of dexter book that i 'm still enjoying. She writes Hi Gareth, I just listened to your season sorry, your episode eight recap and it makes me want to watch it again. Great episode. Definitely the point in the show as I watched it the first time when I knew I was in for a real ride. Anyway, to speak of your detailed recaps, I love them. It's like watching again in my mind and I love the audio you add. But like you said, maybe it's because I haven't just watched before I listen, since I've already watched the series twice. Though I am tempted to pick out a few episodes here and there. My husband and I feel a little void now that we're finished. It was his first time round. It's always that way after we get caught up with a great show and have to wait for the new season. We actually bought a ham steak and some eggs for all and all for this weekend's breakfast since that opening sequence always makes us hungry for that. Have you got your blood oranges, Sandy? Uh, she goes on, and it's just a little reminder of Dexter. Glad you're enjoying the book. It definitely adds some new perspectives as you re-watch. It also makes you realise how brilliant the writers are. Maybe I'll try to watch episode 9 before your next podcast so I can contribute that way. One little thing though, something that I noticed in season 1 that they don't do as much in later seasons, is have Dexter look into the camera at the audience. There's a moment in season 4... Ooh, spoiler alert. (laughs) I'll dodge that bit. Hang on a second. Let me see how far that goes. Uh, But I remember multiple times he does it in season (laughs) 1. Well, that was a close one, wasn't it? (laughs) This is a spoiler-free podcast after all. (laughs) <laughs> Sandy goes on. It's so playful. I love it. What's your interpretation of having the character do that? I like to think that Dexter sees the audience as a confidant. He loves to confess his true character, whether it's to whether it's to a victim just before he kills him, to Rita in a way that she's able to laugh off. Uh, oh, and another reference to a later season. But I think it's a little wink that the audience, at the audience, that that not only knows the true Dexter but accepts him, roots for him, and he needs that. Sorry, I wasn't reading that very well. <laughs> On a side note, I look forward to seeing Michael C. Hall in two movies this year, Peep World and East Fifth Bliss. Hope they're good. Thanks, Sandy. Um, I wasn't aware Michael was in two forthcoming films. I'll have to look into those and check them out when whenever they're released. Your The big question coming out of your email there is, Dexter winking... well, not winking, sort of metaphorically speaking... Uh, nodding towards the audience now he he obviously he's addressing us isn't he when when he does his voiceovers and I think his little glances to camera now and again uh, which as you rightly point out were more in the early early days uh, and, and that's certainly not a spoiler to, to say that much um, he's I think you're right I think we're kind of his his confidants his um, almost traveling along this journey with him in a way and uh, I, I like it it's kind of breaking that fourth wall in, in a way um and and yeah i enjoy it too <laughs> that moment when uh, he the penny drops with him and he realizes neil perry isn't the ice truck killer and that little smile spreads across his face and he looks at us that was that was just <laughs> that was peachy wasn't it fantastic so thanks again sandy next email Barbara in New York has written in again, and she says, Hi Gareth, I imagine you've covered this in your synopsis, but I must say how horrified I was when Dexter opened the door and Rudy, the ice truck killer, was standing there smiling. What a chilling moment that was, and still is. I confess to not realising during my first viewing of this episode back in the day that Rudy had killed Dexter's father, setting the whole scenario into motion, and he obviously was about to give the elderly neighbour, a witness, the same diabetic insulin shot. And was I mistaken in thinking, when Rudy picked up the scissors earlier in the bedroom with Deb, that he was about to kill her? Either way, she's in trouble. Run, Deb, run! Kudos to the actor Christian Camargo, who went from romantic hero to monster in ten seconds in shrink wrap. He was fascinating to watch this episode, dancing around, charming everybody, manipulating events to his advantage... Thanks again for all your work. I'm reading The Psychology of Dexter and find it interesting. I realise the essays are mostly from psychologists who seem to think Dexter could have been fixed early on with some good therapy. I wonder. Thank you, Barbara. Always good to hear from you, and I always appreciate your support. Let's see, your point's coming out of that. (laughs) Sandy, you know, she should be on commission. (laughs) Because you're you're certainly the second listener that I've heard from who... um, has bought the psychology of dexter book uh, our friend matt cook who has appeared on the show before he's bought it and i understand he was going to be wading into it i've not heard back from him actually matt if you're out there mate uh, let me know how you're getting on with that book and uh, maybe send in a few thoughts i know we speculated about maybe doing a special podcast about the book and uh, who knows maybe we'll still do that uh, back to barbara's email you give credit to christian camargo yeah his performance has been good um <laughs> It was quite chilling to see him quite naturally slipping into that mode of doing his air guitar and dancing around with Deb and frolicking about and having fun. And he's obviously been able to do some pretty convincing um, lovemaking with Deb because he's he's really, um, I mean, if he was faking that, uh, I don't know. <laughs> um, oh, I'm on thin ice now, aren't I? <laughs> uh, um... Backpedalling, uh, <laughs> you hadn't realised that on first viewing that Rudy had killed Dexter's father. Obviously when, um, well, not so obviously, but when I watched it first time around, I can't remember, I mean, this is a few years ago, I can't remember whether the penny dropped for me. I I think it did. Uh, and certainly when we saw, uh, we saw Rudy uh, going into the old lady's house at the end, clearly he was tying up that loose end. Um, he couldn't let that one go and risk um, maybe Dexter going back to the house and having another encounter with her and um, learning more about this cable guy's identity. Uh, but quite clearly then, uh, that sort of cemented, if there was any doubt before, um, obviously he was he was involved with that. And actually, it's coming back to me now. When, um, when the old lady gave the description of the dark-haired guy, uh, the cable man being dark-haired, um, I think then I thought, I wonder... Right, so thanks for your email, Barbara.
1: Harry can't save you now, but you could email the
0: podcast.
1: DissectingDexter at gmail.com
0: Next email is from Thomas in Poland, who's emailed in again. Um, And actually he (laughs) provides a a little reminder of a mistake I made in the last podcast uh, in response to his email when he was talking about whether Dexter had actually slept with a woman before. Um, and I sort of said, well, I, I, I don't think that was very clear that Dexter was just saying when he was with a woman and, and it was kind of ambiguous as to whether he'd slept with a woman before. Um, and stupid me, when I played it, when they played the podcast back, I played the clip in my review I'd played the actual quote where Dexter says whenever I've sleep, whenever I've slept with a woman before or words to that effect and it was quite clear he had slept with a woman before um, and uh, just, well, <laughs> what can I say uh, when I recorded the feedback section that minor detail just kind of completely went from me apologies Thomas, you were quite right so, Thomas's email this time. He says, Hi, in comparison to the previous episode, this one was a little bit worse, but still generally decent. A few points. One, the main plot with Dexter's father was quite fine. Some interesting flashbacks here. Two, I also enjoyed the investigation about Bayard. Not sure about that name. I think he means whether he heard it correctly, and uh, yeah, I think that's right. Uh, He goes on, And Batista's behaviour. It makes you really like him. A positive surprise in the end when dokes appreciated Angel's honesty. Three, the old woman was loudly talking to Dexter when he was leaving and he just ignored that. How could he not hear what she was saying? And if he paid attention, it would be almost obvious to him that Rudy killed Driscoll. Really disappointing scene. They should have just cut it out. Four, interesting scene in the end when angry Paul came. Rita played that in a clever way. I can't wait for the next podcast. Thanks, Tom. Good to hear from you again. In response to your points, Batista came out of the episode really well, uh, and I, I give him lots of props for his honesty and maintaining his integrity. Great stuff. And I also give a lot of credit to Doakes. Uh, the character that he was, the character that he killed, clearly p- did some unspeakable things in his past. And, uh, I mean, if we root for Dexter, then we've got to condone what Dopes did, right? Uh, the scene with the old woman shouting out to Dexter, it was kind of clichéd and, uh, well, clichéd of TV shows where a character very nearly discovers something major, but they kind of drag it out um, to um, drag out that discovery a little bit further into the season. And the is surely still to come, but, well, it was only episode nine, wasn't it? They're going to string it out a bit longer. The scene at the end was was interesting when Paul showed that really he hasn't changed and he's just been he's just had the facade, isn't he, that um, we're familiar with from other characters or one in particular. But Rita p- did play that in a clever way. I don't think she was quite expecting Paul to try and rape her, but she uh, she obviously got out of the situation um, in a very positive and uh, assertive way, and uh, well done. <laughs> Next email. Uh, just a quickie from our friend Ken in Australia says, Hi Gareth, just to let you know I'm still listening. Maybe I should watch season one again, it sounds interesting. Keep up the good work. Don't worry, spring will be there soon. Thanks Ken, glad you're still there. Uh, season one, yeah, it is rather interesting, isn't it? And uh, there's hardly a misstep so far this season, I think it's fair to say. it's um, It's been almost solidly good stuff. Matthew Battles has emailed in. And says, hey Gareth, okay, I'm looking through shrink wrap. And her first conversation with Matthews, where he tells her that the DA took him out to dinner to celebrate. LaGuerta does indeed call him a son of a bitch. And uh, so, yeah, it's in response to last week where I asked if anyone who speaks Spanish can translate what LaGuerta muttered under her breath. Um, And uh, it sounds like she uh, came up with something Reasonably colourful. Obviously not in Deb's league. Uh, But who is in Deb's league? (laughs) Um, Actually, I can think of somebody on Twitter who will remain nameless, but if you're listening, you know who you are. Uh, Matthew goes on to say, I love the subtle homosexuality from Scott. Cute and funny, let me guess. Taken. It's nicely slipped in, unlike the overly obvious gay references by Doctor Who boss Russell T. Davis. Uh, Russell T. Davis, the former... Uh, showrunner of the uh, recent doctor who reboot um now stephen moffat has that job uh, i must admit matthew uh, i've been watching the matt smith doctor who's from last summer but um i didn't see well i saw maybe two or three of the david Tennant ones that russell t davis had uh, he sort of uh, well he was the overseer wasn't he and, and main writer um so i can't really comment on on his uh obvious gay references there but um Matthew goes on, also on the subject of Dexter's virginity, he isn't. If you listen to his internal monologue after he leaves Rita's house, he says, I can't have sex with Rita. Every time I sleep with a woman, she sees me for what I am, empty, and then she's gone. Yeah, obviously there uh, Matthew produces the exact quote that I played last week, yeah. So yeah, hold my hand up. Uh, Apologies. Thanks for the email, Matthew. Right, guys, if you want to email in or phone in, you can. The email address is dissectingdexter at gmail.com. The phone numbers in the US, the listener line is 206-337-4817. And in the UK, it's 0844-579-6949. But with the UK number, you enter mailbox ID 08320. You could also contact the show on Twitter at dissectdexter or you can follow my personal Twitter, which is at Gareth underscore UK. And I'm glad to say we've had another listener voicemail. Go, Travis.
2: Hey, Gareth, it's Travis. I'm just calling to give my thoughts on uh, episode nine of season one. Uh, You know, I'm also calling just to keep the listener line alive and in hopes that other people will call in. I mean, you're kind enough to pay for this listener line, and it seems I'm the only one taking advantage of it. Come on, people, don't be shy. So I think that uh, episode nine, uh Father Knows Best, I think it's a really underrated episode. I mean, I'm just an unashamed uh season one lover. So I love everything in season one. But talking to some people, a lot of people uh don't care for this episode very much. I don't know, perhaps it's lack of focus on it doesn't really focus on Dexter being a killer or something. I don't know. But I think it's really I think it's a really good episode. Uh the investigation of Dokes you know that shows angel being the ever present good guy, you know it shows, that's what we like to see him doing. you know we, I like to watch Angel be the good guy, you know it's uh, his turmoil over what to do with the doke situation. I really like that, and then you know on the flip side, it shows Dokes maybe he's not so different from Dexter, you know does dokes have his own code what's you know what's the deal with that? I think that's really interesting, you know perhaps in another in another world, Dokes and Dexter could have been friends, could have been colleagues and some capacity Uh, I like that uh, this episode was the first chance that uh, Rudy had to bond with Dexter and I think it's great that uh, we knew for the first time in the series I think we know something Dexter or for that matter nobody else knows so it's great to see how the dynamic plays when we get to see Rudy with Dexter and we know like oh I know what Rudy's trying to do or we don't know what he's trying to do but you know I'm we know something Dexter doesn't know, and that's an interesting position to be in as an audience for the first time. Uh, I think that the impromptu dance party was really funny. Uh, that's just such a memorable scene, them all dancing slow ride and, and Deb getting on to it as she does. I mean, she just works her heart on her sleeve, you know? I really like that girl. Uh, I think it's interesting to note how Dexter and Rudy are both doing, what they're doing during the dance scene. I mean, Dexter is stuffing things into plastic garbage bags and he's using duct tape to wrap things up, you know, lot like his killing method, whereas Rudy, you see him tying up a box with like a neat little bow, just like he did with, uh, you know, the, the dead girls and whatnot. I think, you know, it's really clever. That's something that I really dig about the show. They throw stuff like that in, you know, some, you know, some of that would be good for us to catch on a rewatch or something, uh, and finally, I think what makes this episode important is this is the first time in the history of the series, or at least in the nine episodes, in, uh, the nine episodes of history we consider for the rewatch, that we see Dexter questioning Harry. I mean, he's always, Harry has been his idol. Ha- Harry's been his light. But now this is the first time he sees Harry as an infallible. Harry lied to him about something. Dexter doesn't know exactly why, what Harry's angle was, why he would do that. But for the first time, he sees Harry maybe can't be trusted or why well, he's not going to lose trust over this, but you know what I'm saying? This is the first time Dexter, his world has been shaken a little, you know, and it took Rudy to show him that. Uh, I think it's going to be real interesting to see, you know, throughout the rewatch, is is this, uh, is this going to lead to something else with Dexter questioning Harry? Is this going to be, is this the first in a series of events? Who knows, man? It's going to be really interesting to see if, uh, what else is going to come up now that Dexter has a little – his uh, ground has been shaken? So anyway, that's my thoughts on Episode nine. I'd just briefly like to add, because I didn't say anything about Episode eight, that I was – when I watched Episode eight for the first time, they tricked me. I really – I was surprised when Rudy was revealed to be the truck killer. I, I don't know. Maybe I'm a dummy, but I think I was totally taken aback. I know people that I've showed the series to after I'd seen it, they all say they knew. They're, they're like, oh, as soon as the first time I saw him, I knew it. And I don't know, maybe I'm an idiot. That's probably true. But I I was actually shocked. And so that, they did a really good job tricking me when they revealed Rudy's, Rudy's secret identity. But all right, man. I uh, hope the rewatches keep on coming, man. Stay strong and take care of those kids. Later.
0: Great stuff. Thanks, Travis. Always good to hear your voice, dude. Uh, yeah, the kids kids are fine. Kids are great. Samuel is what is he now, four and a quarter, Ethan's two and a half, Samuel starts, uh, well I guess you call it elementary school in the States, he starts that in September, we call it, well, I guess it's infant school, uh, yeah, growing up fast, where does the time go eh? Uh, right, to your comments, um, you uh, you obviously uh, enjoyed the, the Batista-Dokes business this week, um, I did too and I, I've talked about that whole thing already uh and it was interesting to see dokes does he have his own code i mean certainly he he spent time in in the in the military uh we understand his special forces so he probably saw a lot of really heinous stuff uh during his time in haiti and uh well finally he he gets a chance to rain a bit of uh well, bring a bit of retribution to uh, one of the perpetrators of, of all those horrible things he saw. And, uh, well, credit to him. Um, Rudy and Dexter bonding. Yeah, they... Um, well, Dexter seems a little bit... You see, he was standoffish, wasn't he? Understandably, to start with. He seems to be sceptical of all of Deb's boyfriends. And it's an interesting situation that we find ourselves in in that we know something he doesn't know. Um... And uh, that's well, it's it's a biggie, isn't it? As well, <laughs> uh, but it'll be good to see how uh, how that all pans out and how Dexter eventually finds out because he's well, he's he's it's coming, isn't it? I liked your observation about Deb wearing a heart on her sleeve. I think that's a really good, uh, almost one sentence description of of the girl. She wears a heart on her sleeve. She really does. She lets her emotions show, um, and and she certainly did that this week. Uh, I've talked about the scene where they were, well, the dance parties, you call it, and, and packing packing things away, and, and Dexter and Rudy using some of the tools of their trade. Uh, and you note something that I missed, actually. Obviously, I, I, I spotted uh, the rope and the rubbish bags and um, uh, the the uh, sort of craft knife that they were using to cut the rope and, and whatnot. Uh, but you noted Dexter putting things in a rubbish bag while Rudy was... Uh, parceling things up neatly, um, tying it up with string, a nice contrast between their respective methods of disposing of bodies. Uh, that, that particular detail uh, I'd overlooked when, when I watched it and I, I'm glad you spotted it because that really adds something else to the scene and um, it really does emphasise the the benefit that we get from rewatching some of these old episodes. Uh, You were surprised at Rudy being revealed as the ice truck killer. I must admit, on first watch, so was I. Um, And and on second watch, you think, how did we not? (laughs) How were we surprised? Yeah, and your your last point there, Travis, the first questioning of Harry. Suddenly a seed of doubt is in Dexter's mind. Harry had been put up there on that pedestal by Deb and Dexter. uh, And both of them suddenly have this doubt about harry's well the first word that comes to mind is integrity i'm not quite sure that's the right word but uh, they held complete faith in everything he'd told them and everything he'd set up and and led them to believe was true and suddenly they find that one detail quite a significant detail uh wasn't true and you know who could blame them now for both thinking well what else wasn't true right well thanks Travis, great to hear from you and thanks for the encouragement for uh, uh, encouraging others to, to ring up and uh, lend their own voice to the podcast oh, that was my laptop there, sorry about that um, it would be great to hear from anybody who wants to uh, ring in with their thoughts um, but if you don't want to uh, put your voice out there your email is always welcome thanks to everyone who wrote in and Travis for ringing in appreciated as always, one and all thanks <laughs>
1: Next time on Dissecting Dexter.
0: The next episode, Season 1, Episode 10, is called Seeing Red. Now, this is a a slight spoiler section, um, only insofar as that I read out a brief synopsis of the next episode, just to whet the appetite. If you don't want to know anything about the next episode, then uh, skip forward a couple of minutes to avoid that. Still here? (laughs) Okay. The synopsis goes like this. After a long absence, the ice truck killer creates a crime scene just for Dexter, which results in a flood of unwanted and disturbing memories. Deb's relationships with the most important men in her life become strained with Dexter's refusal to confide in her and Rudy's attempt to insinuate himself in her brother's life. Angel follows a blind lead in the ice truck killer case directly to Rudy. LaGuerta gambles with her career when she goes against Captain Matthews. Paul files assault charges against Rita and uses the system against her. So, some interesting stuff coming up in the next episode. We did have the uh, hint from Rudy's email back to Dexter, although obviously Dexter doesn't know it's from Rudy, uh, that the ice truck killer will be back. I think his words were something along the lines of, one day we'll share a cold one. Um... So, uh, obviously, he he wasn't planning on going away anywhere. So it's not surprising if he comes back with uh, some more of his handiwork for Dexter to jump into. But it does sound like whatever he does next time is going to be pretty shocking and and bring back some memories for Dexter. And and that's good, because it might mean that we get a good chunk of further backstory uh, to fill in some gaps about Dexter's past. And there's nothing wrong with that. And Paul files assault charges against Rita. Obviously, he's going to have a bruise to show... Uh, whereas Rita, it's going to be her word against Paul's as to uh, about the attempted rape. Um, so, uh, well, she could be in some bother there. I mean, <laughs> it obviously adds to uh, it. Further cements Paul as being a total prick, as if we uh, needed any uh, further encouragement to think that. Um, but let's just hope Dexter can uh, do something about that and save the day.
1: Follow the podcast. Get on Twitter and follow at Dissect Dexter.
0: So I thought that was I thought that was a pretty good episode. I know one or two of uh, listeners uh, weren't entirely weren't entirely happy about the episode insofar as um Finding it a poorer episode compared to the previous one, and that 's probably fair. I mean the last episode, well, the last few actually have been great, uh, and, and shrink rap was was one of the best of the season. Um, this one was still good, just not as good, um, so I certainly won 't pull it down in any way. I enjoyed it, uh, and certainly rewatching it um, as, as we've talked about we've collectively haven 't we we've been spotting things and getting more out of it than we did first time round. And that's all good. That's all good. So we're kind of heading into the the home straight, aren't we, for this season? Um, I guess we can expect the pace to pick up a bit with um, with some further revelations, surely up the writer's sleeves to, uh, to, to spring on Dexter and us. Um, obviously, we've still got one up our sleeves that Dexter doesn't know yet, and that's the identity of the ice truck killer. But we still don't know what his motivation is. What's his purpose? What's he trying to achieve by wheedling his way into Dexter's life? And I think it's—I I think we kind of get the clear impression that um, that he's stringing Deb along with the purpose of getting close to Dexter. So that'll be that'll be a real rocket to Deb's world because she's well, she's fallen for him, isn't she? So um, that'll be sad when that eventually happens, and um, it's it's going to, isn't it? So, really, just to sort of summarize where we 're at i 'm um, really enjoying this rewatch i 'm glad i 'm doing this. I really am because uh, it's it's it 's really making me appreciate season one a lot more and, and when I did the season five podcast and I talked about ranking the seasons in order, and I talked about maybe preferring season two over season one um, but i don 't know it 's really good it 's really good stuff. Um, I, I can't fault it so far, really. I, I'm trying to think as I'm as I'm talking, and I, I can't do it. It's it's solid. It's a really good season of television. Now we're not we're not at the end yet, and there may be one or two things that, that niggle come the end of the season, uh, and we'll talk about those, no doubt, in due course. But for now, great stuff, and I hope you guys agree. so that's it for this time um i I guess this podcast is going to come in as about an hour again uh and it seems from the feedback that uh this doesn't seem to bother anyone so uh i shan't um talk about well i shan't bemoan the fact that (laughs) that i'm recording uh over an hour so um i hope you guys are enjoying and uh, obviously your feedback as always is is very welcome uh, I've given the listener lines out dissectingdexter at gmail.com if you want to drop me a line or, or a Twitter if you like a tweet uh, at gareth underscore UK or the uh, podcast Twitter is at Dexter. right join me again in a couple of weeks probably uh, when we'll be looking at episode 10 seeing red until then take care guys and we'll be dissecting some more Dexter very soon cheers yeah.